Today's scripture reading comes from John 3, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he is has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. I think that I might have to borrow some of the children because I have a couple theological papers left to write. (laughs) And I think they could write them for me. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this season, this season of looking for light. We thank you for children that understand those images so well and can teach us so much about them. We pray that you would speak through this word this morning, that we would have open hearts and open minds to hear your voice speaking into each of our lives particularly and speaking into this community at Knox as a whole. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. God light has come into the world, and yet the innocent still flee the only homes they've ever known in search of safety or food. God light has come, and yet there are people who will sleep in city streets even tonight. God light has come, and yet there is still death and dying and decay in the world. God light has come, and yet the darkness lingers still. There is a certain curiosity in our Advent observances together, because we are more than 2,000 years removed from that first Israelite community that was in between this time of kings and prophets and whatever was to come next, waiting for their Messiah, uncertain if God would send him at all, uncertain what God may have been doing in the world and in their communities. It's curious because while we sit and while we wait, we always know that Christmas is just around the corner. In fact, as hard as we try, even in the church, to suspend our celebration of the reality that the light of Christ has come into the world, we are consistently overcome by holiday schedules and cultural pressures. It's only December 10th today, still only the second Sunday of Advent, and already this evening we will have our Christmas carol sing-along as a church community inviting all our family and friends, complete with an after-party afterward. It's hard for us to sit in Advent because we know the light has come. And I'm just going to try and stop that from falling. 
But the reality is that we don't need to try to force ourselves to feign ignorance of the joy of Christmas in this Advent season. It's all right that we'll be celebrating as a community with friends and family even this early in our Advent waiting. We don't need to develop somehow a collective amnesia about what God has done and is yet doing in the world. We can celebrate light even in the season of Advent, and the reason for our patience and our anticipation becomes not that we hope that the light will come, but that we hope for the light to come in its fullness, that the darkness should be dispelled. It is this completion of a good work begun in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we now so long for as a community. I suspect that it doesn't take much thinking on any of our parts for us to consider what is wrong with the world that we are waiting so anxiously for God to set right as soon as possible. Warfare and racism and voiceless people easily ignored mercilessness in the pursuit of one's own advantage, the cruelty of indifference, the pain of loneliness. In fact, when I make my list of the things that I think need setting right in the world, all the darkness that still exists, all the places that light really needs to be shined, I find that my list is very external to myself. For example, I think that the government of Canada needs to set things right with Indigenous and First Nations peoples, to respect our treaties with them and give them opportunities for quality of life. And I think religious extremists of all stripes need to learn the law of love and to end cycles of violence. And of course, I think neo-Nazis and white supremacists need a really hard and deep reality check and to be confronted with all the harms that they cause to so many people. And I suspect that you've already noticed the pattern in my list. Other people need to do something. Other people need light in their darkness. Other people need God to set them straight and to help them out. Other people need these things. And the hard pill to swallow is that in this text from John's Gospel, I'm implicated and you're implicated. This is the verdict, Jesus says. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness and hated the light because their deeds were evil. Light has come into the world, but ever still creatures of the shadows, we've scurried back into the familiar darkness because it's safe and it's secure. It's what we've become accustomed to because it's not nearly as scary as the light is. In that video, when the children were asked what it was like to be in the dark without any light, they answered, scary. That's the right answer. But our hearts have become so twisted and so out of shape that for us to be in darkness with no light is comfortable, is safe. The light's the scary thing. We might be seen in it. My deeds are evil. My actions can be a part of the evil that I see in the world and desire to be dispelled. But I am so afraid of what the coming light will do to me, how it might expose me. I have loved the darkness instead of light. God light has come into the world, but I've retreated 
we've all retreated so often back into the darkness. This teaching of Jesus in John's gospel is actually the very end of a longer section of teaching between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, John says, who comes to Jesus in the night. And Nicodemus gets right to business by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Nicodemus makes a nighttime journey to see Jesus, away from all the crowds, away from the judgment of his peers, when it's safe and when he's comfortable, when it's dark. Imagine making such a nighttime journey to Jesus yourself, tentatively and uncertainly, and at the end, Jesus says those same words to you. Light has come into the world But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In the cover of the night, Nicodemus creeps toward the light, afraid himself of being exposed, unwilling to see what is true in the light of day. Light has come into the world, and from that day until today, people have been afraid of it. Nicodemus is afraid of what the light of day might reveal about him. And we are all so often afraid of what the light of Christ might say about us, how it may condemn us, how in the light we may be seen to be unlovable or unworthy or inadequate. Confronted with the reality of light, we so often forget how this story started. We forget even how today's passage began with that most quoted Bible verse, the one that we've seen on signs at sporting events. And if you were in Sunday school as a child, you probably had it memorized for dozens of years since then. John chapter 3, verse 16. And if you know it, I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Ready? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. You know it. You remember it, and yet you forget it so often. We all forget it so often that this is our hope, that God loved the world to such an extent that he gave his son, gave his son to live among us, yes, gave his son to die for us, gave his son to be lifted up. This is the deep love of our Father in heaven for us. It's almost as if Jesus knows that we weren't going to get it with that one verse, though. We weren't going to remember John 3.16 in the way that we need to remember it because he almost repeats himself about the kind of deep love and extravagant generosity and what it means for us in the next verse. Verse 17 reiterates, Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The light hasn't come to expose us or to condemn us. The light has come to save us, to set us free from the actions which the darkness encourages in us, and to call us ever more fully into that marvelous light into that most gracious light 
which we've been singing about in our candle litanies this season. You see, the world didn't need light to condemn it. Jesus was sent to save people, not to condemn people, and whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. And whoever doesn't believe has been condemned for a long time, completely unaware, as we all were without Jesus. Then to make it that much more abundantly clear, as if verse 16 and verse 17 didn't get through to us, Jesus continues with that line that I started with. This is the verdict. This is the verdict. Brothers and sisters, a verdict has already been passed. Judgment has already been reached. God has always been intimately aware of the darkness that exists in the world been intimately aware of the state of this world and its brokenness, seen the true depths of the darkness, seen the way we have contorted our own hearts to find comfort and solace in the shadows, those shadows which have only meant us harm. And the verdict that God reached was that light should come into the world. The verdict is that Jesus Christ came the light of the world entered into the world. The judgment of God for a world in deep darkness was and is that it needed light. The words of the prophet Isaiah pronounced this judgment of God for his creation. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The judgment of God is that he gave his one and only son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Nevertheless, people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We have all loved darkness because we remain ashamed of our evil deeds and are afraid of the light's exposure, even afraid of the judgment which is for our salvation and not for our condemnation. I think that we're all capable of imagining this fear. This is the fear of refusing to check your mark in that course that you didn't study for, afraid that you failed it. This is the fear of refusing to read the test results from the doctor, afraid of that most dreaded diagnosis. This is the fear of a defendant who avoids court at all costs, afraid of the punishment. But these fears have kept us trapped in a much worse state. And the promise of God through Jesus Christ is that the verdict is mercy. The test results are benign. You haven't failed the course. But by refusing to step into the light of the known, to be exposed, to trust that the light is for our good and not for our harm, we are keeping ourselves trapped in darkness. We linger in a punishment of our own choosing, which was never meant for us to endure. And we relish it. We relish it because at least we know what it means. Of course, we readily desire that others should dare go into the light, that the rest of the world should be transformed, while we, for ourselves, choose the comfort of a pit of our own making. C.S. Lewis, in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, remarks on the challenge that it is for Christians to recognize the invitation that Christ's light is for our lives and the freedom that comes with it. 
He writes, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is on offer with the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. More than far too easily pleased, I think. I think we are far too easily comforted by the slum that we've chosen to live in. Far too easily dissuaded from trusting in an invitation for anything better. Far too easily afraid of a God that has loved the world so much that his verdict is that light has entered it, that his son should save it. Learning to love the light is a long journey. Untangling ourselves from our learned fear of exposure and being open to the light's salvation is hard work. Christians struggle with this. If this is resonating with you, know that you are not alone. None of us have found ourselves to be fully and completely in the light. Not yet. None of us find ourselves to be never tempted to go back to that dark corner which is so familiar and so safe. None of us find ourselves unable to be afraid of the judgment that we've convinced ourselves certainly comes with the fullness of the light in our lives. It was unquestionably a journey for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus in the shadow of the night and is told that people have loved darkness and hated the light, throughout the entirety of John's gospel, Nicodemus is a man in the shadows crawling toward the light making uneasy and undoubtedly brave steps from the comfort of the known, from the comfort of the company of the powerful, from the darkness of the night into the light of Christ's community. It begins here in John chapter 3 with a conversation concealed by the cover of night, where he is challenged to see the light for the good gift that it is, to consider the implications of the light of the world for the world to live by truth, to love the light. We don't know how he responded to this teaching of Jesus because John's narrative, it just moves on. Nicodemus goes back to wherever he came from, I guess, but he reappears a few chapters later in John 7. And here, Nicodemus takes another step into the light, out of the shadow of the company of the powerful, speaking to his peers, the powerful people in the world. He says, our law does not judge people without first giving them a chance to find out what they are doing, does it? And he's mocked. His peers say to him, are you from Galilee too then? Because only another person from Galilee could defend this man in the way that you are. A welcome invitation from the darkness of the world and of Nicodemus's life back into the silence of the shadows, the safety of the nighttime. And then finally, he reappears a third time in John 19. Nicodemus here helps a fellow disciple who followed Jesus in the darkness and in the night 
to bring Jesus to his tomb. And Nicodemus actually brings with him, it says, over 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, a rich and generous gift from a disciple caught in the darkness, but ever reaching toward the light. As I was writing today's message, we already had arranged for Maria to bring her painting of the man reaching from darkness into light. And the more I considered Nicodemus, the more I saw him in that, reaching tentatively, reaching exuberantly at times toward light, the more I saw perhaps myself in that. Because this is not a story of a man who doesn't believe in Jesus. This is the story of a person who has loved the darkness, but who is so longing for the light, who is taking the steps that he knows how to take to slowly but surely greet the light in all its fullness. This is the Advent journey that we're on too, standing in the darkness of the world and of our lives, reaching toward the light, trying once more to intentionally choose light for ourselves and for our relationships, and to choose light for our community here at Knox instead of the sin and the darkness that so easily entangles. This Advent journey is an opportunity for each of us to catch ourselves in those moments where we find comfort in the darkness when we retreat from the world and withdraw from community, to ask ourselves and discover what it is that is drawing us away from the light, to identify the darkness that we love, and to find out the reasons that we are afraid of the light's exposure. It's an opportunity for that deep and hard soul searching, but not so that we can feel bad about it, not so that we can reinforce our fear but so that we can experience the joy of the light in our lives and anticipate the light's full revelation for all the world. Light has come into the world and we who live in a land of deep darkness have seen it. But we have so loved the darkness that the light startled us. It scared us. It's caused us to run and to hide. But God has so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not to condemn you, but to save you. Light has come into the world and no matter how much we have loved the darkness, the light has loved us more. The light loved you when it entered into the world already condemned by darkness. Even then, the light knew the darkness you would harbor, the shadow you would hide in, and the light came to overcome that shadow and to welcome you home. The light loves you today as in this community you join with other faithful people who are seeking to walk toward the light together, to live by truth, and to show one another the love of God through actions of love and his verdict of mercy. And the light will always love you completely when there's not a shadow left to hide in, when darkness has been completely erased, you won't find that you've been rejected or found unworthy. Standing fully known in the light, you will experience the very love of God. Come, Lord Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.